We can be found on YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify. Like, share, subscribe, and leave us a comment down below. Now, on with the show. Okay. We'll do it live. Okay. Fucking thing. We'll, no. we'll do it live. Right. Fuck it. Death Holler is a horror cast created by two true horror fans to bring to the table your favorite horror films. Topics include, but are not limited to, historical horror, gore, the occult, and terror. Listener discretion is advised. So we've, we've kind of discussed who is in the movie, but I think it's about time that we actually get into the movie itself. I think it's time. Um, so act one, the Bramford. Uh, I would like to call this act the perfect middle-class life. Um, that's basically the gist of what Rosemary is trying to accomplish during this, and it doesn't work out for her, as we'll see. But in the book... That's, that's one of the interesting things about the book to me is that if you're reading it, and even Polanski said this, he said it's more like a kitchen drama for most of the book, and it is. It's like some kind of, you know, you know you're watching a middle to upper middle class family just kind of going about, you know, daily life, you know, buying things for the apartment, kind of, you know, going out on dates, blah, blah, blah. It's, I mean, you know, there's some stuff going on in the background, but that's generally the gist of it. But... I would also say that if anything, this movie and the book in general is uh, personified by the statement, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Oh, yeah. And there's several meanings to that. You know, uh, one of them is, you know, uh, that means that all the good things that you planned on doing but never acted on, you know, kind of, you know, can be what leads the road to hell. Uh, I'm more leaning toward the def- the description of it where it's like you, you do good things for people, but they backfire on you, and that's what leads to your doom. And I, if that personifies Rosemary, in my opinion, from the book and in the movie. Um, the movie itself uh, begins with this haunting lullaby, you know, assume that it's like Rosemary singing to, to her baby. You know, yeah, it's called it Rosemary's pans- Lullaby. Right, and it's panning over new york as we're like you know hearing this and it's kind of creepy to be perfectly honest but oh yeah did you know that mia farrow sang it i did not know that that's that's cool um but the odd thing for me and this kind of ties into what i was you know going over with the in the discussion about the actors and actresses is that this is one of the only scenes in the film that i remember seeing um that actually has like a wide sweeping, like panora- panoramic shot. Like, you know, if, if, if this movie's kind of weird to me because, like, when it first starts out, uh, it, it goes from this to like a pan, like, close in shot of both Rosemary and guys that are being taken on a tour of the Bramford. And it's very tight and very close on the two actors, you know, the actor and actress in the scene, like, and the people around them. It's like you don't really see anything around them, it's kind of like right on their faces. And it stays like that for most of the film. There, like, I don't know of many scenes where it's not like right on Rosemary, like somewhere, like you know, it's got her face, like you know, right in the scene. 
And I don't, did you notice that when you were watching it? Like how it was kind of weird, like it was framed right on her, like for most of it. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it was obviously intentional because her appearance changes so much through the film, but there's scenes, there are some scenes, if it's not them directly, it's visual things that we need to see around the house. Like obviously the closet, um, there's things she pointed out in the film. I don't want to get into it too much because it's going to be a discussion. But where she talks about when she goes into the neighbor's house, there was pictures that were missing, which we know what pictures were missing. Right. Um, yeah. But I didn't catch that because probably for the same reason you say is that it was always so close to her face and his face. And and that's exactly what I was why I was bringing it up because when I was watching it, I saw that and I was like, okay, is it, why is Polanski doing this? Is he doing it so that we? only see what Rosemary like her directly and we can't really see stuff off in the periphery so we don't assume anything else uh, or so that we can be like you know I don't know scared by it or you know like surprised when it happens but then I you know going back to the discussion you know with actors and actresses about how he was agnostic and he filmed this to kind of make you question Rosemary I think he deliberately did it so he was always on Rosemary and, and you didn't get another point of view. So it's like, well, maybe this other stuff didn't happen. We, we only know what Rosemary was seeing, you know, like right in her face all the time. So maybe all this shit's made up, you know. I think that's what he was going for. Uh, yeah, I definitely questioned at the end of the film. I started having questions. So that, that is a good point. And... And I, I, I questioned, I was like, well, maybe that's how Polanski does his movies. Because I wasn't, you know, uh, that's bad on me is you know, not watching a lot of films with him as a director. But I was like, okay, I'm going to watch something else that he did. And I saw Chinatown with Jack Nicholson was there. And I decided to watch it. And it's totally the opposite. He's got these beautiful, like, you know, mid to, you know, widescreen shots of like, you know, one in particular stands out to me where... Jack Nicholson's character is like going down like in this like, you know, barren like little area underneath a bridge that's, you know, and he's he's going to investigate the murder of somebody underneath there and it's like panned way out and you just kind of see the sun in the background and the bridge as it's shining over the bridge on the Nicholson and it's the complete opposite of this movie because it's way far out and I'm just like, no, he can do like wide panoramic shots. So he did this deliberately. I mean, that that was my proof of concept. Like he, like that movie's night and day different. So he deliberately put all those shots right on Rosemary because he wanted it to be just that way. Yeah, it had to be deliberately, and I think it was. I mean, considering you're talking about the other film Chinatown and how it was different and how it brings something different to the film. I mean, that's pretty genius. You you got to give him that. Yeah, I mean, and and another thing, like right off the bat you know, talking about this scene where they're in the apartment building being taken on the, the tour, he focuses, the when he focuses off of Rosemary, he's focusing on the, the little parts of the of the building that are decrepit, you know, like they're, it's like he's showing the rot that's inside the Bramford right off the bat as they're going in there. They think they're getting this big, nice place, but then he shows like the floor's busted up. There's like somebody repairing some kind of door that's been scuffed and, and all this. And it's like, he's, he focuses in on it so he can like, he's basically setting the, you know, the, you know, the, the tone or the idea. It's like, this place is rotted, you know, from the inside out, you know, mm -hmm. that's, that's where they're going with this. And, and it's in the novel too, but I mean, him, but he, you know, he did a great job of like visualizing that and kind of like putting that, you know, front and center basically, you know, to give you that idea as they're, as they're, you know, first even going into this place. And, you know, as a true woman, um, it's funny because obviously she totally oversees that. She saw it. I mean, they made it 
clearly obvious you saw, but once you see that beautiful, you know, entertainment room that they show, which is basically what, like a living room. Um, right. Yeah. And she's just like, she falls in love. Like everything else totally goes out the, the window. And I'm like, <laughs> that's how I felt. I saw what I saw at the beginning. It's like, Oh fuck, man. Is that, how much are they paying for this place? If that's what's going on. Obviously the person showing them the place said we would charge more if we could. That was brought up, <laughs> which I thought was interesting. Um, but yeah, w- once I saw that entertainment room or the living room, if you want to call it that, I was just like, oh, sold. I want to live here. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck and that creepy closet. Said- I want to live here. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get to that closet here in a minute. But I, 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 I'm, I think that's funny that you say that because I thought it was odd knowing, you know, later bringing up the fact that she noticed about the pictures being gone off the wall. That's totally a female thing to notice. Like a guy does not oh, pay absolutely. one bit of shit, you know, attention that that's going on. But I, I just thought it was funny. It was like, you're right, like, you know, all this bad stuff going on. It's like she pays no attention because she's getting, you know, she's just giddy about what she's getting inside the apartment. And it's and it's like a feminine thing that you don't really pick, you know, that you wouldn't normally get. But then, like, it's, I'm, I'm noticing this scene, too. It's where we see John Cassavetes, like, you know, his acting, his guys kind of like, you know, starting out. Like, you're kind of getting, he's got these shifty eyes in this scene. Like, he's, mm-hmm. he's his eyes are dark. He sees all this stuff. He sees the rot. <laughs> he sees... But he ignores it. And I think that also plays into the movie because, I mean, he knows what Roman and many are doing, but he also doesn't give a shit about that either because it's as long as it gets him what he wants, that's all he cares about. And I, it's it's another little thing that plays into the movie. It's like he sees the rock because he looks at it. He looks at all this stuff and just like a guy would. And he's just like, eh, whatever, you know. Ro likes it, so, you know, if that gets me laid later, you know, who gives a shit? You know, that's basically what I got from him in this scene. Yeah, I mean, I do know that he was a little bit more reluctant until after the scene where he talked with Roman. So, well, we can get into that. I can tell you what I how I feel about that, because we're not quite there <laughs> yeah, yet. Yeah, we'll, we'll discuss all about him and his, uh, you know, aspirations and all that. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't have... I don't have many good things to say about Guy, and that. But anyways, all I want to say about him in this scene is the shifty eyes. It kind of, it kind of even begins starting you out in the movie. It's like, should I trust this bastard? Like he's like literally, he can't keep his eyes on anything. Like he's, yeah, you know. It's when you see somebody who's shifty eyed, it's like they're hiding something. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, that, that's the classic comical, like, and you know, like, oh, I can't look you straight in the eyes because I'm, you know, I'm a liar. And that's right off the bat, that's kind of what they're setting up with him. And I, I that could have been Polanski that did that. That could have been Cassavetes that did that. But whoever did it, I thought was perfect. You know, that, that I didn't get so much fit. of a liar vibe. I got a, I don't know how I feel about this vibe. Like, I, this is ugh, unsure, you know? That's what well, I there's got. From a scene. It. There's a scene later right after they get out of the apartment and they're on the street and like Rosemary's like just head over heels over the apartment. Like she can't mm-hmm. stop talking about it. Just like you said, she's like, oh, I can do this. I can do that. You know, and he's just giving her a look like, yeah, whatever, babe. You know, it's like he, he kind of blows it off because, I mean, he's, you know, he does bring up that he's worried about the lease and all that, which is a guy thing to do. But he's always looking off in the distance when you see him in that scene. Like he doesn't look at her. He doesn't acknowledge her. He's like, he's too, you know, he's like, he's looking at every person around him and that scene and that just adds to him being like i don't know it's like i said earlier it's like almost like he's always looking to the future because he can't focus on what's in front of him he cannot focus on what's in front of him and he's probably also thinking how much this is gonna fucking cost him yeah can we talk about that because that's what i was thinking he's probably thinking (laughs) fuck man we already have a half-ass decent place you want to move into this fucking infested rotted fucking piece of shithole (laughs) 
because you're all excited about the living room because I was too. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. And it's funny because that's how our house was purchased. Look at, I'm not going to get into that, but I picked my house. The the husband (laughs) had nothing to do with it. He's like, pick it. We'll pay for it. Granted, we both pay for it together. It's a little different. We're in different times. But he didn't care. It was just like, whatever. Are you going to be happy in it? Fine. And I don't think we'll ever buy a house like that ever again. I don't think he'll allow that. <laughs> Probably not. Um, no. <laughs> I, yeah, it's it's got that going on. And I, I, I just, I don't know. It, it It's funny, too, in the, in, the, in the book that it's based off of, there's a scene that they leave out of the movie, or Polanski leaves out, which isn't needed, but I think kind of informs even more about Guy, is that, and kind of sets up the movie a little bit more, they have a lease going on with another apartment. It's one of those plain. I mean, it's a nice place. Hutch says oh, yeah. it's a nice place, but it's one of those places that's just like you know, if you see one apartment in the building, you've seen all of them because they're all the same. They're all built the same way. They're all you know, like just like you know, like in a subdivision or something. All the houses look exactly the same, same layouts. You know, maybe a little bit of you know design choice differences here and there, but they're cookie cutter. And Rosemary hates it for that reason. And God doesn't really care, but you know, like he, whenever she brings it, what, what they do in the novel that they don't do in this, that, that I thought was interesting was right off the bat, they established he's a, he's a good liar, which is good. You know, when it comes later in the story, because yeah, Rosemary basically says, he says, well, Ro, we, we have this apartment already. How am I going to get out of this? And she's like, you're a good actor. You can get out of it. I know you can do it. And he lies to the people. He says somebody's going on a USO tour and he's going to be out of the States for so long and he can't do anything with it, lying through his teeth and they believe it. And he's like, I told you, babe. Or he's like, you're right, babe. I'm, you know, I, I can, you know, and basically setting up that he's a great liar. And, you know, I'm like, oh God, you know that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. He lies. All right. Yeah, he, he, that's definitely his character. I didn't um, read the book, but even in the film, there are some things I'm going to point something out to you when it comes time. There's some setup in this film that I don't know like you almost have to be a woman to catch and in general like they put it there for a reason it's not just for women it's there's certain things where they do set up really well in this film and it is so just I don't know it's just there you don't even notice it like smoother than cream cheese on a hot bagel you know (laughs) they just slid that right on there well, I'm definitely looking forward to hearing what you're talking about because it, it leads to the next point I want to make about this intro scene is I love little details that, just like you're saying, like when they get inside the apartment and they're looking you know, through the stuff, they, there's that desk there that Mrs. Gardenia, which ties back to our discussion about Sabrina, you know, at least the comic book version of it. But anyways, uh, Mrs. Gardenia, who's passed away, and that's who they're getting their apartment, similar to, I guess, how Lennon got his, which is weird. But anyways. Oh, yeah, somebody um, passed away. Exactly. Um, but anyways, they've got that desk there and she'd just written like a, a letter to somebody, but she hadn't sent it because I guess she passed or passed into a coma and then passed away, which will come into the movie later on, uh, you know, just, you know, out of nowhere. And, and on the letter, she there's a little thing that you can see on there that flashes real quick. And it says, and it's just like a little cutoff thing that says, then merely the intriguing pastime I believed it to be, I can no longer associate myself. And then that's where it cuts off. And it's kind of like this little, little sliver about what might be going on with her and the cast of vets and the other people in the Bramford. You know, I thought that was kind of interesting that she she heard some of the stuff going on through the walls, maybe, and she got intrigued by it and kind of made friends with them. And 
didn't think that it was for her. And when she tried to get out, the kind of the hint is that they, you know, they kind of offed Mrs. Gardenia. And that's kind of what led to all this. Blood in, blood out, bitch. I'm just kidding. (laughs) You know what? (laughs) I have to say, and I don't know how you feel. I think I know how you feel. But if I'm, first off, buying an older building that somebody passed away. And I think she passed away at the hospital, actually. I don't think she actually died. They made a point in at least the novel, if not the movie, where the person says, like, oh, no, she didn't die here. Like, you know, Rosemary gives, like, this startled, like, you know, look toward the guy who's doing it. And he's like, no, it didn't happen here. And she's it like, didn't happen oh, here, God, yeah. you know, yeah. Still, I don't know. It's still kind of creepy to me. But if I had read something like that, which she read it directly, and she gave it a second look, too. She I'm did. I'm be like, mm, you know, I think I'm going to pass. And I tell you, my husband, if he would, he would tell me I'm crazy. Like, what? oh, you read something? It said something about Hail Satan? That's not bad. What could possibly go wrong? You know, and I'd be like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't feel good about this. Like, I don't want, and granted it didn't say hail Satan, but that was something that would get me to be like, I'm good. I don't want this. Oh yeah. I, I'm too paranoid about that stuff. I mean, I, I'll go one step further. The same, same scene, they noticed the closet's been blocked mm-hmm. off by what they call the secretary, and they, they can't figure out, and she was a little small lady, so somebody must have helped her, you know, do something to push it up again, and there's nothing in the closet. That would have sent chills up my spine. I would have looked at my wife, and I'd said, we're not buying this place, because yeah. <laughs> it's it's the, it's the typical setup for a haunted house film, which we, you know, we've already discussed is my biggest horror films, like, because they scare the shit out of me. It's like, you know, that closet was blocked off for a reason. Something came out of that closet. I'm not getting this place I, you know that, that would have been my first thought you know yeah there was fucking and, brand new linens in there and shit the vacuum was in there and I'm like mm, that was creepy <laughs> I don't know that just creeped me out and I actually got creeped out by that in the film I've got to give them credit they did a good job with that and in the book I mean because I was reading that I was like oh shit here we go There's what was behind that closet door you know it's like you know that's the typical setup Speaking of that secretary, though, I know this is creepy and you probably shouldn't do this, but I would have been like, uh, could I keep that secretary? That thing's badass looking. (laughs) Well, you know what's funny about that is in the book, they ask for several things that's in that apartment, including the desk, the writing desk that they see the note on. (laughs) Oh, okay. I mean, it was nice stuff. I mean, because you think about the times, you know, I know back then it probably would have looked like junk, but nowadays we see that stuff. We're like, I can refinish that, you know? It wasn't that bad because like Rosemary really wanted that writing desk. And that was the one thing that her, the son of Mrs. Gardenia wouldn't let her have in the novel. So mm-hmm. it, you know, kind of interesting, but, uh, okay. uh, I just, uh, I, as a, as a starting scene, I just think it's great. As you yeah. got the, the, really you good know, setup. It's, yeah. It, and, it, it it something else a little bit of trivia the inside of all the apartments in the Bramford uh, were actually based upon actual drawings that Ira Levin did and uh, they were all stages they they weren't actually apartments in the Dakota or anything they actually went out and built all these stages but they were based on designs that Ira Levin actually you know made up to look like the Dakota so because he was so familiar with it he you know drew he's like here here's what they look like and they're like all right and they built the stages to look just like what he drew I thought that was kind of interesting oh definitely um and um and I and I really like the detail in a lot of these these uh 
you know, sets that they've got because it kind of reminded me a little bit. We talked about Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. One of the best things was like just the lived in setting that they had built up around, you know, all the characters. Like you look in the background, it's there's just all this stuff that you would expect to see in like somebody's house that like some of the, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, some movies do it. Some movies are kind of like you look in the background. It's like, man, that place is too speak and span. There's no way they have like five kids. What is this bullshit? You know, exactly. it's like, I don't believe this. And it's like, you know, and you watch Rosemary's Baby and especially the scenes where they're like laying on the bed and they've got like the, the you know, like their, their, the bed, you know, like behind them, the headboard is kind of like these two uh, bookcases they've kind of built by stacking bricks up and all that. I don't, it just, it, it looks lived in. I, I, I got to give credit to, you know, Plansky and the, you know, design department. It, they had really richly designed, you know, sets that made you believe what you were seeing. I mean, granted, there wasn't a lot of different sets in the movie, but they really did well with what they had. Yeah, I mean, everything that you could see, given the opportunity, if you got to see past the two actors, uh, the, tr- <laughs> exactly. like the trim and the wood kind of uh, details and things like that, they did a really good job with. And I don't know that they have what we have where we can do synthetic materials now back then. You know, I know they had paper mache back then, but I I, I was kind of wondering how expensive was this these, these setups, you know, in general. not The whole film we could find out, but how much of that included the budget for the setup so yeah and uh, and the and the novel goes into a lot of that stuff too like rosemary's always like building different little things in the depart in the apartment building you know that they have like she's designing like she's putting like paper wrapping around the book you know like the shelves and the closets and stuff mm-hmm. like that so i Which mean she does in the film too yeah, and, and, and she's working on, like, the little uh, seat covers to go in, the, like, the bay windows and that sort of thing. So they do, they do a good job with that. And, of course, it's got the 60s, you know, like, bright colors and all that going on later on whenever she redesigns the apartment. And it's 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 it's, it's a rich background. It's it, They just did a good job. I mean, it looks natural as opposed to, like I said, you watch, you know, some films now and, like, they've got, like, the people have, like, five or six kids and, and the kids are always, like, running around acting crazy, but then, like, their house looks spick and span. I'm like, I don't believe that for a fucking second. <laughs> like, you know. Not uh, today. Um, the next big scene that's in the movie, I mean, there's some other stuff that goes on, but the, the scene with Hutch. And the only reason I bring this up is because I think it's just, it's, in the book and in the movie too, more so in the book, I would argue, but in the movie, but in both, I just ain't find it interesting. He's like the classic doomsayer, doom prophet, you know, type of like, you know, uh, don't do this. Something bad's going to happen type character. It's a, it's a horror staple. Uh, primarily you find it in a lot of slasher films and the slasher films usually have the weird hobo that runs up and it's like, don't go to camp crystal lake. You'll (laughs) die. You know, it's like, but it, I, I thought about it and I was like, well, they kind of had that in the old movies too, because you'd have like these scientists, you know, like professors that would tell Frankenstein, it's like, you know, don't delve too deeply into this. That's God's terrain. You're damning yourself if you do this, you know. So it is a classic, you know, character archetype, you know. So I thought that was kind of cool. Well, and, and they I bring think up some. Hutch was very subtle too, if you think about it, because he told her about things that were uh, a hard pass for me. I mean, I saw red flags going up every word he said. But he was also very subtle in the sense where it wasn't like, don't do this because it was like, oh, I know about that place. Oh, it's really, really good. He made like, you know, have you ever heard of those um, compliment sandwiches where he offers one good thing to say about it, throws in the demonic, you know, bullshit. And then it's like, but I mean, the history on that is, you know, or the the artistry on that is gorgeous. 
Um, same thing when it came to the doctor. He, he had questions about certain things about her pregnancy and everything. But then he was like, oh, but Dr. Saperstein is a really good doctor. He, he was the ultimate compliment sandwich maker. He was, and it was kind of funny too, but it was also natural that he wasn't like, you know, like I said, the the weird hobo character. He was more like the, uh, I mean, he was like telling her all this stuff about how the trench sisters were like eating, you know, people in between like bites of the meal that he was preparing for them. Like he would be sitting there dabbing at his, you know, like the corners of his mouth was napkin. Oh yeah, the trench sisters, they ate people, you know, it was like, it's just, you know, it was an interesting, you know, take on it. No big deal. Yeah, no big deal. Uh... Of course, Guy being the asshole he is, he's got to like say something about it. It's like, how dare you say something about this? We've already got the lease. You know, don't get scared now, Rosemary, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, that's kind of the first sign in the book and in the movie, too, about how much of an asshole he is. Because, you know, Hutch, maybe not as much in the film, but definitely in the novel, is portrayed as basically her, you know, uh, father figure, like a standing yeah, like a mentor, figure. protector. Yeah, uh, primarily because in the book it's established that she's estranged from her family, and I think that kind of leads into her doom too, because she has nobody really to rely on other oh, than Guy yeah. and and Hutch, and Hutch gets taken away from her. So it's like the you know like the good angel on her shoulder gets taken away, and you've got you know shitty ass Guy there to you know kind of take over. But um, it, it's it's just kind of shitty for Guy to uh, you know be so hateful and dismissive of like her father figure. I mean, especially if he cares about her, he knows how much she respects Hutch, and it's you know at this point like it's more so in the novel than it is in the movie because it's real quick in the in the movie. But like in the novel, he's just like there's there's a hope like a few lines where he's just like how dare he say that? What an asshole, you know? And she's like, oh Hush, you know he was trying his best, you know that sort of thing. So. Um. Uh. They they move into the apartment after that, and there's you know that's whenever they start hearing the weird things through the walls, which I thought was kind of you know interesting and well done. It that's kind of a holdover from the novel too. But that would have pissed me weird... off. <laughs> well, How clearly it, you could hear everything else. It's like oh, they're gonna hear us banging, you know. And and that was and that was the thing that I thought too is like you know because it's in the novel and the movie both where guys making fun of you know Minnie and you know Minnie's voice because she's got such a nasally you know like midwestern <laughs> like annoying voice and he's like oh listen you know she's like oh, hush you know it's like why didn't they hear him they probably did but they probably it's did like yeah. It, but if they can, you know, if they can hear many in Roman, they can, or at least many, they can surely she can hear him because God does not like lower his voice at all when he makes fun of her. It's like, you know, he's as loud as he wants to be whenever he does it. So, oh, yeah. I that was kind of, but they have like this weird chanting and stuff going on during one that of the scenes. That was creepy. And, it happened as soon as like they started kind of like making out. So, almost like, oh, cool, they're about to make a, a baby. Let's fucking, <laughs> <laughs> let's pray to the dark lord. <clears throat> And yeah, and it's um, and and yeah, you're right. It was like right whenever they they had just made love, like when they first moved into the apartment, and there was that whole scene where they were, you know, kind of a cute scene between the two of them before things turned bad, where they've got like the one lone lamp in the floor, and you know they're kind of eating their you know takeout together, and they decide to have you know make love or you know whatever, and and then like later on they're like laying in the bed and they're like kissing and all that, and that's whenever they hear the the weird like it's like a you know monotone chanting, and there's like this weird woodwind that's playing, which we find out later is a recorder because Doctor Shand, the dentist, is the one playing the recorder, which is something that a uh, guy shouldn't know but he does and that's kind of what you know rosemary picks up on too oh my god um, <laughs> it's just but, it was funny because like you, that scene happened and they kind of just pulled away from each other like uh 
what? Yeah, I could tell you what. There ain't no babies being made if I'm hearing that shit. Okay, first off. Second, no wonder they had to drug her to get a baby made. <laughs> because if you're going to start doing that while I'm doing it, well, <laughs> that's going to ruin hear the that mood. You hear that, and that might be like, you know, where I'm at mentally or just, you know, where we're at. You know, I, I can't speak for society, but it it definitely is like, you know, just the fact of what time period we're in now. I'd be sitting there thinking, like, what weird orgy have they got going on in this <laughs> next, you know, like, the, what is this? You know, oh yeah, God. so. <clears throat> but the scene after that is what really kind of uh, goes back to what I was saying about the road to hell is paved with good intentions. This is the scene that solidifies it for me because it's where Rosemary's in the basement, in the laundromat, and she meets Terry Gianofrio, uh, that's, you know, the, the girl who's staying with the cast of, you know, the cast of Eds or whatever. The, uh, and and she, she doesn't have to say anything to this girl. She can just see her, mind her own business, and, you know, do her laundry. That's all she had to do. But two things are working against her. First of all, Hutch is, you know words about especially about the baby that's the one thing every time she goes she don't care about you know adrian mercado and the trench sisters or the high level of suicides that he mentions in the Brantford. she does none of that sticks with her but she remembers that baby wrapped up in that newspaper in the basement helter skelter basement mm-hmm. <laughs> and and she's afraid of it every time she goes down there in the novel like she she hates the place and so Hutch dooms her like by trying to warn her of doom. He dooms her because he scares her so much in the basement that she feels like she has to befriend this girl to kind of like, you know, so they can both go down there and do their laundry together and kind of get over their Cause they both, you know, say that it's creepy place. Yeah. And, but she's also too nice not to just sit there and not say anything like today, you know, a lot of people would be like, whatever, I'm on my phone, you know, who gives yeah. a shit about who this is, but it's different time. And she's from Omaha and she's, and that's just her character. She's, you know, she's a, she's lapsed Catholic, but she's still a Catholic. And she's just like, well, this seems like a nice young girl. She kind of reminds me of a movie star. I, you know, she mentions in the novel, it's like Anna Marie Albergetti or something like that. And she, that's cool. She can't, she can't stop staring because she really thinks it's that actress. But anyways, like she, she has to say hello. She has to greet this girl because that's out of kindness. But that dooms her because that's where she gets introduced to the, the, to Terry. And Terry is connected to the cast of vets and she's got the, and she's got the, you know, the little charm around her neck and she's, you know, that's where the Tannis roots first introduced because, you know, Rosemary hypnosis the smell. And if she hadn't just, that one seems pivotal to me because if she hadn't said anything to, you know, Terry she, and just went about her way, she would, I mean, when Terry died, it would have been nothing. She'd be like, oh, that's that weird girl, you know, that, you know, I, I met in the basement. That's sad that she's dead, but, you know, whatever. But she's, she makes conversation with her, and that's whenever she knows that, realizes she's with the cast of vets that real when she realizes that uh you know terry tells her how much they mean to her and all that and of course rosemary and you know later on the next scene where she dies uh terry dies has to mention that to the cast of vets and that puts her on their radar so i mean it all kind of leads into each other I, if she this one scene if she just left it alone she'd been fine well um, i wonder too because if this was one of those setup scenes, we'll never know because, you know, Terry died. But I wonder if this is one of those setup scenes where she meets this girl in the basement. They talk. They're exchanging information. You know, they're talking to each other. Who are you? Who are you married to? What do you do? Blah, blah, blah. That we don't know that Terry went upstairs. And, and not because 
she was spying or anything, but because she met this person, she was excited. She had information and they're like, sweet, fresh meat, you know? Well, that could have happened too. But like I said, you know, she hadn't even bothered to be nice to her in the first place, which I mean, at first. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know. And I mean, and the death happened so soon after this, because they literally don't have another time to even go down there and have, you know, another meetup in the laundromat. It was like the next scene, right? Right, yeah, it was like literally the scene after that whenever she comes back and it's like this horrific scene where all this like, you know, bright red blood's all over the, you know, pavement and her head's caked open and, you know, it's like... Eyeball popped out. Oh, my daughter was so excited over that. (laughs) You know, staring at the sky, you know, it's... uh, it's it's just what like I said it's to me it's the defining scene it's like just oh no don't don't do it don't you know that's that's the scene where you'd be screaming at the person don't go in that room you know it's like you know don't talk to her but you know she does and so that's you know kind of what sets up the last rest of the movie I do the other one thing I bring up about this scene is that they they picked guy throughout like at least in the marketing for the movie as he's being like the struggling actor. And I, I think that's bullshit because he's not struggling. Like they clearly have no issues with money. Like either one or like him and Rosemary are fine. Anytime she wants something, he buys it for her. I don't think credit was as available in that time period. So he was just buying this stuff and mm-hmm. it never even, it never depicts that he has a trouble getting a role. He just has trouble getting the roles he wants. And that's True, the defining yeah. thing. I think about him as an actor or as a person it's not that he doesn't get roles. He gets them all the time, and he gets lucrative roles. I mean, commercials, you know, he stars in commercials all the time, but they're not. He wants to be a Hollywood actor. That's his, you know, like. Well, yeah. I mean, think about it this way. This is because I, I, I agree with what you're saying because I'm like, well, they don't seem like they're struggling. However, I think he has to work harder to be able to bring in the money that he brings, whereas if he was getting what you just said, more lucrative roles, it would be working smarter, not harder, to bring in the money to be able to afford their lifestyle, is the way that I looked at it. That is true, but I also feel like it kind of plays more to his vanity more than anything else, because he, he seems like he, he's not happy just because he doesn't have the fame that goes along with it. Oh, because absolutely. Every time, it because plays every into time his Rose- assholiness all the way. Every time Rosemary mentions, you know, it's like, oh, my husband's an actor. People ask what he's been in. And she mentions, like, you know, the the two things he's been on, uh, you know, Luther and Nobody Loves an Albatross. They give her, like, a blank stare, you know, obviously, yeah. because nobody's ever heard of it. And I'm B-movie. sure that... No, I was kidding. <laughs> well, I, th- I think one of them's a play, but that, you know, that's even more oh, yeah. so. And it's like... <laughs> And it and it's like you know I think guy probably gets the same responses or he sees that in the people that you know because I'm sure Rosemary introduces him that way to people and you know he sees that response and it eats at him I think that's his like motivation it's like shit nobody knows who I am you know I gotta you know I gotta do something I gotta break out you know but it it just I think it's disingenuous to paint him as a struggling actor because he's he's good at what he does and he gets a lot of parts it's just not you know and that's what kills me later is he makes a deal with the devil literally not because he's you know I could accept it if he was starving on the street and it's like you know listen I got to get somewhere I you know my family's you know, I hate coming home at night and I see my kids, you know, starving or whatever. You can understand somebody who's, you know, maybe making a deal or thinking about it based upon that. But you get somebody who's like middle, upper middle class, who has no problems with, you know, any kind of money issues. And they go out anytime they want to. They go to whatever plays they want to. They shop at some of the high end, you know, apartments that are high end department stores in, in New York City of all places. And then sit there and tell me he that guy has to make a deal with the devil because he, you know, no, that bullshit. Wouldn't you say that would be greed that dr- was driving him, though? Like, I have all this good stuff, but I want more. 
I don't know if he cares about the stuff because he never acts like in the novel that he gives a shit about that. He just wants, he wants to be in Hollywood. He wants his name in lights. That's what yeah. he, in the novel, you know, that he doesn't care about the money that goes it's along with it. It's not right. Just... Don't get me wrong. Like him <laughs> making the deal, which by the way, I had told you that I had watched this as a child. And then of course I have to watch this into adulthood. And one thing that I had never realized, which is so funny until I'll explain it until I watched it most recently was that he had made a deal with the devil. I thought as a child, he was just always in on it. That the reason they moved that place was because he was in on it and everything else that followed. But it wasn't until I saw the scene where they're at their, you know, the neighbor's home and you could just see it on his face. What had happened. (laughs) He made a deal. And I was like, that motherfucker made a deal. And my daughter's like, what? Like, he made a deal with the devil. And they make it more apparent in the novel, too, because uh, going back to the ambiguity or whatever of the movie, you know, ambiguous nature of it, he, ambiguity is what I was trying to think of, he... In the in the book, he doesn't like he he, he won't get naked around uh, uh, Rosemary at all after he goes over there for like the, you know the 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 time whenever he's inducted or whatever like midway through or whatever you know with the cast of vets they have this big you know one of their sabbaths or whatever and they induct him he gets a mark on his shoulder he does not undress for her whatsoever after that point he won't even let her see him in the shower was after this in that. the book it was in the book in the movie okay I was about to say he, I don't remember in the movie. Well, in the movie, they go the opposite route. Like, she mentions that. She's like, you have the mark. They put it on the shoulder. He pulls his shirt off, and there's nothing on there. He's like, look, you're, you're full of shit. There's nothing on my shoulder. You're, you know, you're just crazy from, you know, losing your baby, so go back to sleep. You know, Check that, his you know, left butt cheek. It's on his left butt cheek. Yeah, or, or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> but it's like, you know, the ambiguity of it, it's just like, uh, you know, in, in the movie. But I just, he... He, I mean, he, there's there's definitely a point in the, the book where, he, you know, he's gone through it and he's accepted it and all that, and then, and then he's in on it. That's all I was getting ready, you know, I was making a point of with that, you know, going what you're saying. He's not in it from the beginning. Actually, he's empathetic in the book, uh, and I can't say in the movie at all, but he's empathetic in the book up to, up to that point whenever he actually gets in with Roman and Minnie because, like, even though he has a couple of asshole scenes, he does actually genuinely show scenes that he cares about Rosemary in the novel. Like, he... You know, like he sees her like struggling with stuff and he'll actually be a good husband to her. And that's why I said Robert Redford seemed like to me more of a like, you know, because I, there's just something about John Cassavetes in this that, you know, like he doesn't give me that like he's not empathetic. I don't look at the guy and I just I see like a scumbag. I don't <laughs> that's bad for me to say yeah, about no, him as an I, actor. I got mostly scumbag. <laughs> I did see a few belts of regards, you know, where he was like, <laughs> fuck, like he, you know, he knew he made a bad choice. I saw it, but it wasn't, it, it, it didn't linger. The scene where he gets called from, you know, the agency to, to tell him that his rival, uh, Donald Baumgartner, has been stricken blind. It, it's more pronounced in the novel. That's why I also said he has more empathy in the novel, but it's also in the movie. You can see in his face, like, he's like, oh, shit that's because I did that, you know, Mm -hmm. that's, you, you see that in his, so he does have regrets, you know, there's not, he's not like completely gone, but he's, but I don't think he's ever really a nice guy throughout this whole, you know. No, and he's totally driven on just, like you said, always looking towards the future. Um, the, 
after this is when we see the scene where we got the you know the dead you know uh, Terry Gianofrio, and that's that's another part of her damning because she ha- she cannot leave it alone. She has to walk over to the pimp and the clown <laughs> and tell them. Oh, Terry really loved you. She said that you took so such good care of her when she needed you, and that's when she was definitely on the radar. She wasn't before this. She was definitely on the radar at that point. They're like, oh, she's she's a fairly attractive young woman who has a you know looks like her husband might be a, you know an attention craved whore. Let's uh let's get these in people in on it. I, I, don't, I don't. It's just one of those scenes. I, I you know it's like I, I just wish that she had you know decided not to say anything to him but you know it is what it is okay so we we go to the next scene and that's the death scene with uh with terry and then that's when the pimp and the clown show up like i said earlier and that it's another scene where rosemary's just damning herself like she cannot leave it alone she has to go over and, and talk to roman and Minnie, tell them how much terry and you know, appreciated how they took her in and all this other stuff. And if she would just let, just not said anything to them, she, she might've still ended up on the radar eventually, but not the way, I mean, she directly like got in their crosshairs. I mean, what would you think about that scene? I mean, I didn't think a lot about it in terms of she shouldn't have done that. Even how things panned out because I still had that thought of possibility that maybe the reason Terry died was because they found someone just like when you saw that nun scene, they found someone probably, I don't know, maybe a little bit better to bring forth the, the son of the devil. And so they offed Terry, I think because she might've went and said, Hey, I met this wonderful girl. This new couple just moved in and she unknowingly gave them all this information about Rosemary, and then they're like, bingo, we're going to use her, you're gone. That's true. I never thought about that because they don't really show, like, who wrote the note, so that could be a scene in the movie. I just assumed whenever I read it that, you know, she had killed herself because it's hinted, at least, and it's probably because my, you know, what I knew from the novel. In the novel, there you hear many through the wall say something about you should have never told her, meaning that Roman informed Terry of what she was supposed to be doing and she killed herself because she couldn't live with the knowledge that she was going to be, you know, basically the son of the Antichrist or I mean the mother of the Antichrist. Yeah, so. and there's that too. I think also though when they talk about the note, the police it was again back to that horrible acting I told you about of oh yeah, we feel so bad. <laughs> They're like is this her handwriting? Oh yes, uh-huh. 100%. For sure. Definitely. We definitely didn't uh, write that ourselves and telling you that it's hers. They might as well have said that cuz it was so like Fake the way they're like, yep, one hundred percent. They looked at it for three seconds and then turned away. <laughs> That's true. I I don't know. I just I feel like you know Rosemary coming over there was maybe I don't know. I, I feel like if nothing else, it was a tipping point for me. Even if they had their eyes on her, whenever she came over and she deliberately made a point to say something to them, they're like, oh yeah, we've got you now. Oh, you know, definitely one hundred percent. She was. I don't know. They would have forced her way. The way the neighbors acted. They would have forced their ways and their ways into their lives one way or another, in my opinion. Yeah, but it's it's like I, I think they picked up on how accommodating she was because I mean it, it's a scene 
two, uh, you know, it's a couple of scenes removed from this, but that's when Manny pokes her nose in the apartment and says, you're all right if I come in here and just kind of take a look around. And, and she knows the answer is going to be yes, because she's already kind of got that vibe from Rosemary that she's, you know, just super accommodating, just too nice for her own good. You know, like I was just sitting there thinking, I was like, if it had been me, I'd been like, no, yeah, you're not coming to my house. Who, do you th- so who the fuck times. do you think you are? I mean, did you see in Rosemary in Rosemary's face every time she invited herself over, she's like, yeah, sure, come in. Like, she's being nice, but you can tell there are some specific times she's like, I just don't want to deal with this. She she didn't want to deal with it, and and they make a point. It's actually in the movie and in the book, too. I mean, she brings it up to Roman about how many invites him over to the apartment. You can tell by the way she says it that she doesn't really care if they go, but then, like, Guy kind of gets pissed off, and, and I actually have to give him credit. I kind of understand this point. He thought he was, you know, trying to keep, you know, from getting in the doghouse with her on this one. You know, it's like, <laughs> if you said we have to go, we've got to go. And she's like, no, no, it's fine. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, as a guy, no. If somebody, if, if your woman tells you that, and then they say it's fine, we know what the answer to that is. You're going to be pissed off about it, so let's just get it over with. I don't want to do it anyways, but fine. It's very smart of so, you to realize that <laughs> but but it's like you know but she but she goes out of her way to say no actually i don't want to go i was just trying to be nice just say that you can't go and let's you know not go uh i mean she 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 shouldn't have, i mean the way she said it she kind of you know you know made guy feel like he was compelled to do it but i mean it was one of those things where she actually does say that she doesn't really feel like she wants to associate with him but she's doing it out of kindness and uh, it just goes back to her character. She's too she's too nice, and that's what kind of leads into what happens to her. Well, that's what she gets. Well, yeah, basically. <laughs> I mean, um, I do like the scene, though, right after that, where it shows, like, she's having trouble, like, dealing with, like, the scene that she saw with Terry, and, like, she has the dream where she's back in Catholic school, and she's got Sister Agnes there, like, you know, basically talking to her and... I didn't know this at the time, but, you know, uh, apparently Polanski, like, mismatched what was being said by Sister Agnes versus what's being shown in the film to where, like, the, the, like the mouth movements don't match the, the audio. Oh, I caught and that. And he did that deliberately. He, he said, well, I was, I don't know, I must have been looking off to the side or something when it was going on, but, like, he... <clears throat> He mentioned he did that deliberately because he said it's like, you know, and I can't fault him for this because it's actually brilliant. He said, like, when you're in a dream and, like, you hear people talking to you, like, they don't always, like, their mouth doesn't match up. It's like you know what they're saying even when they're not saying it to you. And I'm like, that's actually brilliant because that's true. Well, like, somebody could be just looking at you in a yeah. you know dream and, like, you know you know what they're you know what they're saying even if they don't, like, actually, you know, mouth the words to it. Yeah, I mean, coming from a dreamer, that is legitimate. Uh, you, there's two things. You can't see their mouths. I don't ever see their mouths move. But, yes, I can hear what they're saying clearly. Um, I've also heard, and this is from that show that I was watching called Evil, a real quick sidetrack, is that allegedly uh, you're not supposed to be able to read in your dream. So <laughs> if if uh, you if you look at something visual, you know, like say you're you think you're awake but you're dreaming. If you look at something you're supposed to be able to read, you shouldn't be able to read it, and then that would indicate that you're dreaming. That is, yeah, that that is a real thing. Like, because anytime you look at a book or anything in a dream, if you're a dreamer, it's like gibberish all the time. Oh, yeah. It's like random letters on a page. Um, he also had a brilliant reason for why he wanted the words mismatched too, and I thought this was good, is because she was dreaming this at the same time Minnie was saying the shit. Because it's actually Minnie who's saying exactly, all the stuff that yeah. Sister Agnes says. 
And but he said it's like he said that he did that deliberately also because it's like her mind is like trying to play catch up with you know her dreaming mind with what she's hearing like in the real world. So like she's hearing it like out of sync with how it's in the dream. And I was like, man, that's that's perfect. Like uh, you know, like that makes a lot of sense. Like if you heard somebody like saying random stuff to you while you was, you was asleep dreaming, like you wouldn't instantly it wouldn't pop up in your mind. It'd be like off somehow, you know, like because your mind would be like trying to process what you're hearing in the real world. Um. And there's and there's a lot of good um, like little foreshadowing in that scene too that 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 goes on uh, that I like a lot actually. Well, it seems like a lot, and it's a very short scene too. It, it is, and and the only thing that I will say that the the novel might be slightly better in that scene, although it's it's almost a, a perfect rendition of the scene from the novel, so I can't fault it. The but they do spell more things out, and again, that probably plays in the Polanski trying to keep it more ambiguous. But like you know, in the novel, like she actually hears like uh, Sister Agnes say something to the effect of like uh, she's you know Sister Agnes is basically arguing with Roman uh, about how he she doesn't know how he's the leader of anything that she doesn't care what Laura Louise has to say about the matter, and that they shouldn't have told her meaning Terry anything. And how they could have gotten, and, and basically they could have gotten anyone else who was healthy and not a virgin to be, the, who you know, to do what they were doing. They didn't have to get some drugged up whore. So <laughs> it's, uh, they basically spell out what's going on, you know, in the novel, but they keep it a little bit more ambiguous in the movie. And I guess that's, that's that might actually be to the benefit because it kind of keeps you guessing. Well, yeah, and that's yeah. actually kind of funny because you're telling me this now and, you know, I did not catch that. To me, the scene was so fast. So it was like, okay, what, wait, what's going on? Because I'm looking... I'm looking at the the nun talking and what is happening. The words aren't matching her lips. So mentally, I'm not putting the words together. If I had just, I probably would have had to close my eyes, honestly, for that scene. I, I think the only thing that makes it into the movie is basically uh, the, the nun saying that they could have gotten anyone who's healthy and not a virgin. And, I, you know, basically hinting that they were, you know, that that's the main takeaway. And... I think the rest of the stuff about Roman being the leader and all that's kind of left out, but you know, it it it's it's a good you know setup for you know what's going to happen afterwards. Definitely, yeah. That like I said, that's one of those things I did not catch right off the bat. We got to discuss the scene where they go over and have the dinner with them at the party. Oh yeah, the, that their apartment. You said you had some things to say about that dinner scene. What were you going to bring up about that? Um, well, that was the one where I that's where I became to the realization that he had made a deal with the devil. So that was one thing that I had, well, I shouldn't say with the devil, but I mean, basically made the the deal that he made. I realized that for the first time, but where I didn't, I didn't catch in that house where after the, after this particular scene, when they're walking back or they're in their own place and she's talking about what I wonder what they do with the pictures that they put down. And naturally he didn't know what they were talking about. I didn't see that. Did you? I didn't see it in the movie, but they, um, I, like like we said before, they focus so much on Rosemary, you can't see the rest of the, of the apartment, so it don't really matter. I mean, it's like you, I mean, she can say that all she wants, but you only see Rosemary. So, I mean, you you know, and I guess that plays into Polanski's whole thing because she says that the pictures were, t- but I mean, we didn't see it. You know, Guy didn't see it. Guy wouldn't see shit anyway. Well, but, yeah. That's you know, besides the point. <laughs> But I mean, you know, she's the only one that says that. So we've got to go by her word if we believe her is the, you know, the protagonist. You know, that's that's kind of where we're at with it. In the novel, it's pretty point blank because as soon as she walks into the room, it. Ta- I mean, of course, it's told from her perspective, so it's going to be, you know, like more detailed. But like, 
you know, there's a big wide open space in the living room where there should be tables and stuff like end tables, coffee tables, whatever. And it's just blank. There's nothing there. Uh, the, the seats are way far apart. Like where Roman sits is way on the other side of the room versus where her and Minnie and guy sits at, which is odd. And all the pictures are taken down. Um, there's like some, uh, she says there's like a scuff mark on the floor where it looks like something was sitting before and it's not there now. And I think it's like a table they use for, you know, like for the rituals or something. It's, it's, it's a lot more spelled out in the novel. Like she, but uh, like I said, it's told from her perspective. So you see more of what's happening. Yeah. She's, I don't know. She's very observant, but yeah, I didn't catch that. There was a scene following this. So this is just kind of a setup scene of they're becoming friends. Basically. This is one of those, this is the start of we're going to invite ourselves over cause we're your friendly neighbors, you know? I've got to ask you, what did you think about the uh, the fact that Guy and uh, Roman were just so blatant about their dislike for and for the and just disregard for the Pope? Oh, like you know, <laughs> I mean it. You know, it, it doesn't hit me that hard because I'm not a Catholic. But I was just like, yeah. I know I could see why Rosemary would be offended by this conversation. Yeah, it, even if she was a lapsed Catholic, it struck a fire in me because I was like, whoa. First off. You don't talk about the Pope like that. Second, Roman, you're not lying. Because he said something just because, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I don't know the, the exact line, but he's like, just because he's the Pope doesn't mean you have to love him or something like that. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. It's true. You don't have to. You shouldn't have to be forced. If there's anything that I'm teaching my current minions is that, okay, you know, mom's Catholic and this is what I believe in, you know, but you have the opportunity to kind of figure out what you want to on your own. I was given that liberty. Um, I don't think in any religion you should be forced to anything, honestly, anymore. I don't think it's a good way to, you know, keep somebody in that. But, yeah, it did bother me. I don't know why I didn't think it was evil or anything, but I was like, whoa, it's the Pope. But then I was like, eh, sometimes I don't like the Pope, so. <laughs> <laughs> I just I thought it was an interesting scene. I mean, like, I was offended for Rosemary, but like I said, it didn't really. I was like, you know, I was with you. I was like, well, Roman had some good points, but I could also see it was like Roman was turning on the, turning on the charm a little bit in that scene, like especially toward Guy. And, you know, of course, that's deliberate because he's winning him over. Oh, yeah. But it's like. Uh, but I, I could see why more people would be attracted to that couple because of Roman Burke. Cause there's nothing about many. I was like, who in the hell, why would anybody put up with this? You know, old bitty. I mean, she's ridiculous. I mean, nosy. She's, you know, got that horrible nasally voice. I mean, it's like, you know, and they're like, I was like, okay, well, they probably hang out with him cause Roman's kind of a draw. Like, you know, he's got some interesting stories. Like, you know, oh, the guy yeah, said, you know, uh, was it, wait, was it him that is like, ask, ask me where I've been. I've been anywhere. <laughs> like that old Johnny Cash song, I've been everywhere, yeah. man. <laughs> He's the most interesting man <laughs> which in the is world. Actually, which that song by Johnny Cash is actually uh, about a serial killer uh, in theory. So that that's even <laughs> okay. more, that's even more interesting. Well, shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I, you know, I just, it's, it's an interesting scene. And, and the only thing about that is at the end where Rosemary has a dessert and like, she says, knows there's a bitter taste to it and she doesn't really want to finish it off. But again, she does it out of kindness because she can't say no to anybody, which is her, you know, this is how you fault. got into this predicament. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think was in that food that she ate? Because guy is not, he eats two helpings and he says he doesn't notice anything, which he doesn't notice anything regardless. But I don't think it was in his food. I think they put tannis in there. I was going to say, I thought it was tannis. And of course, okay, so I did a very, very little research on tannis. It is definitely a made up um, 
root or fungus for this film. So they'd made it up just for Rosemary's Baby. It's not something that had any any actual, which I thought it would have been cool if they had used something. There are so many witchy herbs and roots and stuff that they use for with most intention more than anything. So you could have picked something real to use to put in, by the way, that necklace was, which is a pendulum. It's not exactly a pendulum, but you can, anything could be a pendulum, but they have, they sell them at the witch stores. I call it the witch stores. They're not, Um, (laughs) but you can, you, yes, you can put, you can put stones in there. So you could put your crystals that, you know, have whatever energy um, roots, you can put herbs, you can put all kinds of stuff. Usually you put like those, um, I don't know, what is that, uh, uh, essential oils or whatever onto something to make it smell good, not make it smell like nasty, whatever. <laughs> not smell like some kind of fungus that that smells like it comes out of, of Satan's ass. Yeah, yeah so that's... I think they were trying to give her the taste of Tannis right off the bat to kind of be like, okay, this is, uh, get used to this, bitch. I wonder, they describe it in the book and a little bit in the movie too later on with Saperstein that a lot, everybody who's involved in the cult like smells like Tannis root. And I'm just wondering if that's a way to get her smelling like it in addition to the uh, the charm. Like, well, not just to, to make her smell like it, but like preparing her body because it's like somehow that attracts Satan. Like, you know, so like the smell of the, the you know, Tannis root because for the audio listeners out there, you know, the people who's listening to this, you know, it, it, it's spelled in the, the novel T-A-N-N-I-S and, you know, the book's all about anagrams as we'll get into later. And even though it doesn't perfectly spell Satan, it's it's satin, you know, close enough, you know, it's it's Satan root basically is what it's supposed to be. So I'm just wondering if it's like, you know, kind of a lure for Satan or something is what they're kind of hinting at with it. I thought that was a good, like, I thought that was a kind of a good thought that you had that you told me. I was like, I had not even thought about that because obviously this was made up. So in my opinion, that would make sense considering there's so many other things they could have used that was real life. Also, I never fully understood what, other than when she was reading that book called All of Them Witches, I think is what it was called. Yeah, I believe that's All of Them Witches. Yeah. yeah. Which is actually, it was later made into a, uh, I believe it was a made-for-TV like miniseries or some bullshit. Oh, sweet. That's, that's, like a real, that's like a real thing, and it has nothing, it's just in name only, yeah. but it's, it's whatever, it's a weird twist on it, so, but go ahead. Um, I uh, it does briefly explain that they use it in their rituals, but I never got a full, I don't feel like I got a full explanation of what it supposedly does, other than, like you said, maybe the scent draws the devil. But, like, in they, every they really single don't... thing she eats and uses? Yeah, they later on, whenever Manny starts making up her cocktails, as prescribed by Dr. Saperstein, which is the weirdest, you know, don't take vitamins, take Manny's cocktail of weird herbs, you know. Which then, later on, he prescribes uh, her pills. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, if you're going to be a fuss about it, we'll write you pills. But, you know, yeah, like, it's in, it, Tannis is in that, so, like, they're feeding her Tannis root the entire time, oh, yeah. and she's wearing it around her neck, so. Oh, my God, dude. That was annoying. Uh I'm like, if you don't um, like it, I don't know. Look at when you're pregnant. I know you don't have any experience being pregnant. At least to my knowledge, you don't. <laughs> I hope you don't. I hope not. I hope not. But like when something smells strong, even if it's something that you like, it makes you nauseated. Oh, yeah. It's like your body's turned against it. It's uh, you're, when you start having those weird cravings, which some people say might actually be 
I don't know, in a weird roundabout way, your body's way of protecting the baby, like certain smells of like processed foods that are probably bad for you anyways. And even the best of times, like suddenly you can't tolerate the smell of them because you actually smell how nasty they are, uh, you know, somehow, uh, you know, uh, there's some theory behind that. But anyways, I, I can't imagine anybody would smell tannis root. Even. Well, the one, if you were pregnant, the one argument would be if you were actually carrying the son of Satan, he would actually like that smell in theory. So, you know, I guess there's I that. Guess. Why but. was she having, um, this is a little <laughs> ahead, but okay, we'll talk about it later. I just want to know, we'll discuss this, put a, a pin in this, but why was she in so much pain in the beginning of her pregnancy? So we'll discuss that as we get into that. Yeah, we're getting close to that section. Anyways, the next the next scene, the only one thing I want to bring up is whenever Minnie again invites herself over again, Rosemary can't say no, but this time it's partially because guys kind of set her up for this because he's had to go over and talk to Roman. And I think actually this scene is where Roman or, you know, converts guy or maybe like it's like the next to the, you know, like it, it's it's one before, like, you know, because guy goes over there specifically just to talk to Roman and you know it has to the devil talk has to come up during the scene because we never see it and it's the whenever Minnie and Laura Louise uh kind of come in there and start doing their little crocheting number which is the annoying only thing I want to bring up about this yeah the only thing I want to bring up about this scene why do you think that she brought Laura Louise with her was it to kind of pressure Rosemary into accepting the Tannis charm because this is the worst she's like here have this charm and like Rosemary's like wasn't that the one that Terry had when she's like yeah but take it we we like you better now um you think it was like the fact that she thought that having somebody else there like Rosemary knowing how she had to bend over backwards to please people like many knew deep down that if there was another person there it put just that more pressure on her to accept the charm like she couldn't deny it out of hand or anything I think that's one of the reasons I think the other reason was to introduce her to another witch because you got to remember when it comes to bad covens um, and when I say bad, I mean with bad intentions, is that it is all about acceptance, kind of like vampires. May we come in? The same thing goes with witches. It, it's about being invited. And Rosemary inviting her in the house or allowing her in the house was allowing her in her presence, which is giving her some sort of, gives them some sort of power over her per se, meaning they're allowed to be in her space. Evil is not allowed to be in your space unless you allow it, you know? Um, and yes, That's the true. gift That's... thing, yes, definitely. It's like if somebody's there, you feel more obliged to say, oh, thank you, how kind of you, you know, instead of, hey, wasn't this that dead girls? Didn't you love her, you know? <laughs> well, and it could have also been, too, I'm, I'm thinking that just now that um, maybe she wanted somebody else from the coven to kind of come in there and kind of be a judge. It's like, hey, do you think this person would be a good fit? You oh, know, that for too, or the, hey. You know, devil's baby. If even that, because I feel like this this neighbor was a, really kind of a nobody in terms of, yeah, she was she was part of the coven. She made the circle a whole, but it was like, oh, this is the girl that we chose. This is the girl that I told you about, you know? Um, one thing in particular about this scene I was excited to tell you about. I think this is the scene you thought I had something specifically to mention. Um, not this one, but the previous scene where they're doing dinner at the neighbor's house. But this scene, they come over, they pretty much kind of barge in. I mean, honestly, like, can we come in, sit on the couch, start doing their knitting? She's tired. You can tell she's tired. And you know why she's tired, because she says she's on her first day of her period. Yes, yes, that that's a good point. Did you catch yeah. that? Yeah, and um, and that's also that's when they they know when to time the Sabbath or their big rituals because now they know they can track her period. Yes. And they can know exactly when in the cycle to 
because uh, they make the big comment. It's like Laura Louise or some, says something like, well, if it was my period, I wouldn't be doing anything, honey. And then Minnie was like, oh, these girls now, they, they get up and do anything, you know. And I think that's another comment about, you know, the whole time period they were in because it's like women in the workplace but still having to deal with all the, you know, the, the monthly, you know, problems that women have to deal with. And, you know, so it's kind of another play on that too. Oh, but, yeah. And this um, is where many where they always pick, pick out that Minnie is nosy and she's nosy with the purpose because she took this information and then you'll notice not too long after this all of a sudden guy has a fucking calendar on when she's fertile and they know what two days to like (laughs) pin her down for her pregnancy yeah, not only that, but he's also suddenly uh, very interested in her and having children with her. And up to this point, he'd always been the guy that's like, "Nope, can't do it. My, you know, my career comes first. Uh, wait, wait for a bit, row." And like suddenly, he's like, "We gotta have a baby now, right you know, now." Yeah. <laughs> but uh, and I wonder too in this scene, they don't ever spell it out, but you know, like later in the 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 movie and in the book it's hinted that the witches basically take an item from you and that's how they you know do their intentions as they take and you know and focus on that item that belongs to you and they do bad you know and whatever bad happens is because of that connection i'm wondering if whenever they come into the apartment and many could have already done this when she first came in there i don't know but especially with like the two of them there and they're kind of sitting there. I wonder, I mean, I just wonder if one of them, like maybe Laura Louise off in the background, just picks something up randomly. Rosemary's and is like, well, if this doesn't work out, this bitch is dead, you know, like that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, to me, yes. And that would definitely work. What's interesting about that though, is that usually kind of like you have to invite somebody in, you have to give them something. I don't know if you've ever remember the scary stories to tell in the dark tale in which there was a witch that kept asking to borrow sugar uh yeah yeah and then the neighbor wasn't giving it to her and she i don't know because they they had some ritual where they were driving a nail and trying to kill her but if you had given her that sugar that's the sign of kindness that you don't have intent of hurting them therefore she could have lived but she didn't because they didn't give her that well same thing with your personal belongings yes you can steal something you could take a piece of my hair you know or take you know a, a candelabra or something that i have hanging around but if I didn't give you that, you don't have power over it. it like I said, it has to be all about, um, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for here? <laughs> Allowing people to do something. Uh, just, yeah, freely and, you know, freely giving, you know, that way it's it's got more of a connection. It's because you, it, it's got, you, when you gave it, you gave also a part of yourself in the exchange. Exactly. Sort of deal. So. Um, I would argue that that's true, and that's actually a good point, except for the fact that later on, when Guy steals the glove from Hutch, yeah, he doesn't ask. He doesn't ask for it. So no, he know, doesn't. Yeah, c- the only exchange that happened was between Guy and his. Uh, well, he Guy was technically like what the understudy, if that's the proper word to use. They exchanged ties. Yeah. They exchange ties, yeah, mm-hmm. and that's the, that's the scene where the you know when they and and that's actually the next scene in the movie is where a guy gets the news. It's like, hey, you got this part, you know, when the other guy's been stricken blind, and you know he you know uh, tried to kill himself, and now he's you know basically in the mental ward to try to keep him from committing suicide and that sort of thing, and. You know, like we said earlier, you can kind of see that it messes Guy up a little bit because he knows, because he did the exchange. He knows that it's because of what he did and because of the fact that he's, you know, in in cahoots with many of them. But then he gets over it. Oh, yeah, real fast. he starts, you know, so 
And then you have the scene where, you know, Roman, they have their, their dinner together. The, you know, they're supposed to have some kind of, I think in the, the novel, it's like bass or some kind of thing, some kind of seafood. And, and, and Guy is supposed to bring home the dessert, and he conveniently forgets it just so that Minnie can show up her nosy ass again and give him chocolate mouse. Oh, yeah, chocolate mouse. Oh, my God. If anything epitomizes how annoying this woman is, the fact that she has caught chocolate mouse, I mean, that, <laughs> just something about that is so just uh, just needles at a person. But anyways, and, and this is the most, this is the worst thing that Guy, I mean, pretty much does in the movie. I mean, he literally sets his wife up for rape. Oh, I mean, yeah. even if you, I mean, he crushes up a bunch of days of Pam, I think's what's in the novel. I can't remember if it, you know, I don't think it says in the movie, but it's like, you know, it's 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 one of those days Pam's annex, one of those things. And he he crushes it up uh, while she's or actually it might already be in there like when Minnie gives it to him. But anyways, he knows it's in there. He knows that that what he's doing to Rosemary and he's insisting. It's like, "Well, she brought it over. Don't be a bitch, you know. Eat all of it, you know. Don't be rude." And like she's like, "But it tastes bad." And he's like, "I don't care." And and Rosemary does, you know, the one thing that's actually, you know, one her one of her little bits of agency in the movie. She's like, can you go change the record for me real quick? And then, like, she spits it out and, like, you know, dumps the rest of it. But she eats just enough to make her, like, paralyzed, Oh, basically. yeah. Which works really and, well because, I mean, the scene fought that follows. Yeah. Uh, you have to have her conscious for the, the next scene to, you know, to be, to be as good as it is. Because she has to have some kind of knowledge that this is going on to her. And, you know, and, and but it's just... When Guy did this, I was just like, "That's." I think I sent you the message. I was like, "He, her, Guy Woodhouse is a piece of shit." That, that's literally what I sent you, and it's like uh, this was a scene that did it. Whenever I, I knew what he was doing to her, and I was like, "This, this fucking bastard." Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I also, mean, I, I, this scene. Okay, fine. This scene is one thing, but the next scene where he's watching is a whole other. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let let's go to that. She. Uh, getting into that, she starts having this odd dream about how she's on a boat with JFK. I thought it was a cool scene. It's a cool scene, and I didn't realize this until I literally right before we did the podcast, I was trying to read up on something because there's a odd little bit of racism that goes on in the novel around this scene in the fact that the the black guy who's who's driving the boat uh, for some reason, and it's dream logic, and that's how dream logic works. Like Rosemary knows that the black guy hates all white people, and I'm just like, that's weird. Like, why would he throw that in the book? And I and I got to reading about it, and I was like, oh yeah, this was around the time of the, you know, the, you know, all the, you know, the, when the, you know, blacks were fighting for the rights in the South, and you know, all that stuff was going on, the hippie movement. Like, there was a lot of shit going on in the country whenever this movie or book in particular was being written. So, I mean, even though it's still an odd thing to say, and I, and I still think it, you know, I, that's the reason JFK's in there is because he had just been assassinated. You know, we had all that going on, the Catholic connection to it. The Pope had just been like, you know, there was like some, the Pope had just, you know, was coming to America, you know, after like this big restructuring of the Vatican Council or something was going on at this time. There was a lot of weird, you know, a lot of stuff that kind of went together. And that's kind of what, plays into her dream in this scene. I didn't know if you was aware of that or not. I wasn't aware of that at all. It was really interesting. I mean, it makes sense because that's how crazy dreams are for the most part. I mean, there's a, sometimes there's a lot of context in dreams. You have to really look into it. So to me that it makes sense. This is why when I have a very you know vivid dream like that, I have to wake up and write down to kind of piece together, why did I dream about this? And sometimes I can, 
But yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I mean, I thought, you know, whenever I first read it, I was like, well, that's kind of, you know, I relive it being a racist piece of shit a little bit by putting that in there. But then I got to reading it about, you know, about what time period it was. I was like, well, if it's Rosemary's dream and she's, you know, when you dream, you dream about things that concern you. And if she was saying stuff on the news at the time about the civil rights movement and how, you know, like all the stuff that, the you know, was happening to the black people who were protesting down in the South, then, I you know, in her dream mind, she would, you know, tend to think that black people must, you know, hate white people for the way that they're, you know, being treated and, and, you know, the attacks against them with, you know, fire hoses, dogs, you know, everything that went on. I was like, that, that's really not as, I mean, it's bad, but in another way, it's like the fact that, you know, why he would hate all white people is because of what was going on contextually at the time. So that places Rosemary's baby slightly ahead of its time. Because if you think of how we have to point these things out nowadays, it's not as subtle as that. They made a really good point in this film without upsetting anybody hardly in fact if anybody I can't say that they didn't notice it but it means something there's a few scenes with a few black actors in this film um that they kind of stand out to me and I didn't quite realize why until now I'm hearing this but you got like the CW that is constantly forcing (laughs) sexuality racism you know things like this down your throat and just shoving it down your throat it's like hey buddy we want this there is an artistic way to put it in there and I'm not saying I'm here to tell you how to do it I'm just saying whoa can you we get it you know just like come on now it's not like we're, we're wanting some of this bad stuff that's going on but do you have to like make enemies out of people for this stuff when you can kind of just throw in fucking what's really going on instead of over-exaggerating it, you know? They're, yeah, they're instead of having the scene where, you know, homophobes bad, tra- transgender, you know, haters bad, you know, like just whole, and, and it has nothing to do with the plot whatsoever, You, which is what the CW does and, and what, you know, why... You know, we both discussed why we didn't like the Theo stuff and the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. It, you got stuff like this where it's like it's in there. You know, you're showing that, you know, but like in a very subtle, like you have to really, you know, uh, work to get it. And I mean, some people could argue, well, if you have to work to get it, then it's not getting the point across. I would argue that it does because if you, if you plant something in somebody's mind subtly it works on them it's kind of like that thing from inception it's like you plant one little seed that you know nags at a person until it you know changes them it makes it to where you have to think about it yeah it's like why you know you're sitting there like why did you know just like i did it's like why did they have that one scene with a black guy that hated what was that about and then you and you research and you're like oh my god you know and then it dawns on you and then you know you you buy when you put in the effort to understand it 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 brings on more of a meaning to you as a person, I believe, you know, because you had to work to get the, the to, to figure it out. And also it, you know, it means more to you once you do figure it out, as opposed to have somebody just beating over the head with like a book that says, be good to people, be good to people, you know, like it, that, that doesn't, you know, I mean, you hear it and you get the beating, but it's like you, you're resentful that you had to be told that way. Look, all I have to say about that is it doesn't work well in religion and it doesn't work out in other, even political situations, um, sex situations, uh, racial situations. Because if you're beating people over with it, you're only going to get the nuts that really are like following it. Whereas if you have, give somebody some kind of freedom on it, they are like, okay, I see the good in this and I want the good part, but I don't want the craziness that comes with everything else that you're trying to beat into my head right now. Um, that, go, like I said, goes for anything. You got 
religious nuts that if you're constantly forcing them to believe a certain thing, how are those people acting? We see how they're acting, like with those religious cults on TV, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's... I, I mean, I totally agree with you. And it's like, and just like I said, if you come to it from your uh, your own understanding, it's deeper. Oh, definitely. I, 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 honest, I honestly believe, I mean, not to get religious, but I honestly believe that's the reason Jesus spoke in parables in the New Testament is because it's so vague when you just look at it from like, what does this have to do with anything? And then you have you have to look into it. You have to ponder about it. You have to sit and, you know, kind of stew it over a little bit, kind of, you know, you know, dwell on it a little bit, kind of live in it for a little while. And once you come to the understanding, it's it's deeper for you because you did it. Yeah. You were the one that connected it to yourself versus like having some preacher stand up there, smack his hand on, you know, the podium and say, you know, you're going to burn in hell if you don't do this. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it works out better that way as a message. Oh, for sure. If you enjoyed this episode of Rosemary's Baby Part 2, please join us for the finale on Death Holler. Death Holler is brought to you by Blue Collar BS with your host, Reverend Dr. Death and La Arena. Please like, subscribe, follow, and share. We'll catch you next time. And don't forget to bring your death certificate. <laughs>